Right now, please turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and kids, nursery to kindergarten right now, go ahead and if you want to, go to Children's, children's Church. The rest of us, we're going to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. When you find chapter 1, please stand for the reading of God's Word. First Thessalonians chapter 1, starting in verse 1, God's word reads, Paul, Savilnus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before God and the Father, your work of faith and the labor of love and the steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. This is the truth. Amen. 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 You may be seated. To begin today, I want to share with you a short story. There was, a, there was once an eight-year-old boy who wanted his mother to pay him for all the work that he did around the house. So the boy wrote his mom a note and gave it to his mom. The note read, for washing the dishes, you owe me a dollar. For cleaning my room, you owe me a dollar. For hanging up my clothes, you owe me a dollar. For mowing the lawn, you owe me a dollar. Mama, you owe me. Pay up. The total is $4. Signed, your eight-year-old boy. About 20 minutes later, the eight-year-old boy found $4 on the kitchen table with a note from his mom. The note said, for carrying you nine months and being sick as a dog as I did, no charge. For changing your diapers and potty training you, no charge. 
for waking up all through the night to feed you and care for you when you were sick, no charge. For entertaining your friends when you wanted to bring them over without notice, no charge. For making all your meals and driving you to all your events, no charge. Signed, your mother who loves you, the total charge is zero dollars. Now, the eight-year-old boy didn't know what the word or the words grossly entitled meant. But after reading that note, he realized how gross his attitude and behavior was. And more importantly, he realized that he had forgotten just how great his mother was. Sometimes you and I treat God like that eight-year-old boy treated his mother, especially, especially when it comes to prayer. It is so easy for me to go to God and ask of God like an entitled little brat. To come to him with this entitled mindset thinking, I deserve, you owe me. And then when God doesn't answer the prayer that I give to him the way I want to, when I have that mindset, what do I do? I whine, I pout, I complain. And almost every time, I just lose sight of how great our God, how great the God really is. God sustains your breath. The breath you just breathed, he enabled it to happen. Same with the breath I just breathed. He enables our every breath. No charge. God made this incredible universe. The heavens that are absolutely fantastic. This earth and all its wonders and he placed us in it and allows us to live within it. No charge. God the Father sent God the Son, Jesus Christ, to do what? While we were yet sinners, to go to the cross, to suffer and die and rise from the grave so that we who believe in him could be saved from the damnation we deserve. And he did it all for no charge. Our God is so great. Amen? Amen. Upon salvation, you and I receive the Holy Spirit. We are enabled by the Holy Spirit to do what we couldn't do before. We can run from sin and we can do acts of righteousness, holy unto God and joy inducing for ourselves. And he gives of the Holy Spirit no charge. For the believer, he places them in the body of Christ. No charge. Our God is such a great and amazing God. But it is so easy, especially when we are praying, to lose sight of that. To lose sight of how amazing and terrific and great our God, that there is no one like him. Let me say it 
this way. We live in a world that cultivates the entitled little brat mindset, do we not? It's all about my rights, my feelings, my truth, my life. I deserve this. You can't tell me no. You can't tell me I'm wrong. I'm the victim. You serve me. You have to accept and support my agenda no matter how asinine it is. This world cultivates this this mindset. I mean, it's Pride Month! What is Pride Month? The epitome of what I'm talking about. And as a result of this entitled mindset, what does the world do? The world doesn't offer the praise and glory to God that he deserves. No. They reject God. They try to transform God into something made in their own image. Or they just completely ignore God and they don't give him the praise, don't give him the glory that he deserves. They lose sight of how great God is. And you and I, you and I do the same thing, right? Especially in regards to prayer. We lose sight of who God is and what he's done for us, what he's doing for us, just how great he is. Let me say it another way. Jesus is coming back. Amen? First, there's going to be the rapture. Then there's going to be the seven years of judgment, or typically called tribulation. Then there is going to be Jesus coming back, riding on a horse, exercising more judgment, and then establishing his thousand-year reign. We saw this in our Revelation series. And then he's going to come back, and he's going to make a new heavens and a new earth. And no one in that new heavens and new earth is going to have an entitled mindset. Everyone's going to think, I don't deserve to be here, but for the grace of God, I shouldn't be here. Can you believe that I'm here? And you're going to look at me and say, I can't believe that you made it. (laughs) The mindset of heaven is going to be humble, not entitled. It's going to say, wow, the grace of God. And from that is going to stem that awesome praise, that eternal praise and thanksgiving to God and all that we do say and think in heaven. It's like the hymn Amazing Grace. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to what? To sing God's praise. Not to say, I deserve, I'm entitled, I get this, listen to me, God, answer my questions, God, but to say, God, praise you, thank you, God. And in light of this fixed hope that every believer has, we all say, come Lord Jesus, I can't wait till he comes back. But sometimes I think we say that disingenuously. Why? Because I can look at so many areas in my life, especially my prayer life. Where it seems like I don't believe that. Think of it this way. If we're all looking forward to heaven with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and we're going to walk with Him, we're going to talk with Him, we're going to be with Him, we're going to work with Him and under Him, and all the while, this praise, this joyful praise and thanksgiving is going to be in our heart and on our lips. If that's what we're looking forward to, in light of that future, what should we be doing now? It only makes sense to 
praise and thanks God, thank, give thanksgiving to God now if we really have that future hope. Listen, the book of 1 Thessalonians, what is the theme? It's living like Jesus is going to come back. How to live, what to do. If we are a believer that believes Jesus is coming back, how are we to live? And what's the theme of the entire first chapter? It's the Apostle Paul, Silvanus, Timothy, giving unceasing thanksgiving to God in prayer. It's giving praise and thanks in their prayer like they will give praise and thanks for all of eternity. Listen, I'm going to split up this passage into two parts. Today we're going to go through part one. We're going to cover verses one through three. Next week, verses four through ten. And the first thing we're going to see this week is a greeting. A greeting from these three individuals to this church. And then we're going to see this unceasing thanksgiving by Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy in prayer to God. And then we're going to look at the reason why they are so thankful. The reason why they're praising and thanking God now in prayer like they will for all of eternity. Let's first look at the greeting. Look at verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ Grace to you and peace. Notice a couple details there. First, notice the multiple senders. This letter is from three people, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Look at verse 2. It says, we, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, give thanks for you always. Look, verse 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Look at verse 6. Verse 6, and you became imitators of us as you imitate Christ. This letter is from three people. Now listen closely. This letter is from three people, but it's written by one person. It's written by the Apostle Paul. Look at chapter 2, verse 18. Because we wanted to come to you, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy come to the Thessalonican church, I... The author of this text, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Think of it this way. Often throughout the year, the elders will send a letter to the church. This is a letter to everyone in the church explaining what's happening or what's going on or just a letter of encouragement. We'll send the elders, we'll send a letter. But who most of the time wrote that letter? Myself, right? The letter is from the elders, but I wrote it. That's the book of 1 Thessalonians. It's from Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul has written it. So that is the multiple senders. Let's look at the recipients for just a moment. The recipients are obviously the people who make up the church of Thessalonica. That's the recipients. And these members of this church, they would know Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. How? Well, in Acts chapter 17, on Paul's second missionary journey with Silvanus and Timothy, where did they stop? They stopped in Thessalonica, and within three weeks, God, through these three individuals, started 
the Thessalonican church. So God used these three men to start this church. So these recipients, they know Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. In fact, right before this, we'll see later on uh, next week how they sent Timothy to find a report. They got news back, and now they're sending back another report, sending this letter to them, seeking to encourage them. And what's really interesting in this introduction, look look at how Paul describes this church. He says, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean, that these people are in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, we understand that the Holy Spirit dwells in us. We understand that the Spirit of Jesus dwells in us. It says in Galatians 2.20, Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. He believed in Jesus Christ. Thus, the crucifixion of Jesus became his crucifixion. The payment for sin that Jesus paid on the cross became his payment for sin. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, Christ lives in you. Amen. With that, it says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, Do you not know that you are a temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. When a person becomes a believer in Jesus Christ, they are indwelt, you could say, they are indwelt by Jesus, they are indwelt in a mysterious, profound way by the Holy Spirit. And not only are they indwelt by God in this way, but the believer is in God the Father, is in God the Holy Spirit, and in Jesus Christ. It says in Romans, concerning Christ, 8.1, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. The believer is in Jesus Christ. Colossians 3.3, for you have died and your life is not, or is hidden with Christ in God. And the context is God the Father. It says the same of the Holy Spirit. You, however, are not in the flesh, Romans 8, 9, but in the Spirit. So when a person becomes a believer in Jesus Christ, then it's a genuine turning to Christ, genuine repentance and faith. Not only does the Spirit of Jesus rest upon the person, is in the person, and not only does the Holy Spirit in the person or indwell the person, But for the believer, they are also in God the Father, and they're in the Holy Spirit, and they are in Christ. Turn to John chapter 17 for a moment. John chapter 17. John chapter 17, Jesus is praying, and look at what he says, starting in verse 20. I do not ask for these only, the disciples, believers in him right now. I do not ask for these only, but also for those 
who will believe in me. That includes the future Thessalonican church. That includes you and me. So how amazing is it? Jesus prays. Prays at this time not only for his disciples, but Jesus prayed for you and me. How awesome is that? Keep on reading. For I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me, who will believe in me through their word, that they may be all one, just as the Father, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Now look at this, last, this next phrase. That, Jesus praying for you and me and every future believer, that they also may be in us. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. What an incredible, profound, and awesome mystery. When a person becomes a believer in Jesus Christ, not only are they indwelt by the Son, they're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, but they are in the Father. They are in the Son, and they are in the Holy Spirit. In other words, their whole identity, all that they are, their purpose, everything they are is wrapped up in who God is. It's no longer about them. It's about who God is. They have been born again. They have been made new, completely transformed by the work of Christ. They are now in the family of God. They are now in the blood of Christ, which cleanses us from all sin. And now they are in deep and profound, powerful relationship with the Holy Spirit. To sum up, you could say this is a profound statement that means that Paul is saying, you church in Thessalonica, you are genuine believers in Jesus Christ. You are in Christ and he is in you. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. Such a beautiful description that not only applies to them, but also applies to you and me. You and I, if we're a believer in Jesus Christ, are in the Father, we're in the Son, we're in the Holy Spirit. All that we are is wrapped up in the greatness of who God is. He totally redeems us and makes us new. So now let's move from the greeting and let's talk about the unceasing thankful prayers. Look at verse 2. Turn back, excuse me, to 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Verse 2, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Skip over to chapter 2, verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this. Skip over to chapter 3. Look at verse 9. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. Throughout this entire letter, what are these three individuals expressing? They are expressing thankfulness. They're expressing praise and thankfulness to God in prayer. Constantly, unceasingly. And this is not just true of their relationship with God and concerning the first concerning the church in Thessalonica. This is all over the place. In 2 Thessalonians, the next letter, Paul writes, we ought always to give thanks to you or thanks to God for you. 2 Timothy 1.3, I thank God whom I serve as I did my ancestors as I remember you constantly in my prayers. 
Philemon 1.4, I thank my God always for you. All of these passages, Romans, 1 Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, prayer, prayer, prayer. And this prayer is constantly filled with praise and thanksgiving to God. Constantly. Like Jesus was a man of prayer, Paul in civilness and Timothy are following God's example, following Jesus' example. And they are praying, praying, praying. And in their prayers, it is filled. It is filled with praise, 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 and thanksgiving, and thanksgiving, and thanksgiving. So we see this unceasing thankful prayers. Now let's look at the reason for it. The reason for it. Look at verse 2 again. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and the labor of love and the steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Why are Paul, Timothy, and Silas filling their prayers to the brim with thanksgiving? The first reason is the Thessalonians' work of faith. What is a work of faith? Well, when a person becomes a believer in Jesus Christ, they are redeemed and made new. All of their sin washed away, and they are empowered to do what? The Holy Spirit fills them, and they are empowered to exercise and produce the fruit of the Spirit. They are empowered by God to do the works of faith. Not to earn their faith, but because of their faith. They are doing works unto God by the power of God for the glory of God. Let me say it this way. Prior to salvation, what does a person's work do? Prior to salvation, any and every, you could say, quote, good work adds to the weight of their damnation. How can I say that? Because prior to Christ, what is everything done for? It's not done for God. Therefore, it mean, that means it's been done for something else or someone else. And when we do something for someone else, or something else other than God, what does the Bible call that? It calls it the sin of idolatry. So every work that people think they're utilizing to get saved is actually adding to the weight of their damnation without Christ. But when a person becomes a believer in Jesus Christ, transformed, cleansed, empowered by the Holy Spirit to do what? Works of faith. Works of faith that bring glory and honor to God that are well-pleasing in His sight. Not because we're earning anything, but because we're so thankful and we want to be used by God for His glory. And that's what's happening here. These people are doing works of faith. And it just drives Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to praise God. Because they know, Paul, Savinus, and Timothy know that none of these works are faith and done, enough, done in and of the Thessalonite, only the Thessalonican strength. It's all done in God's strength. It's all God working through them. So they praise God. You know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of you. 
This reminds me of FBC. This morning, the band woke up early, got here early, to practice the songs and lead us in worship. What was that? That was a work of faith. God working through them to glorify his name and bless the people of God. Throughout this week, the children's workers teaching Sunday school and right now, they're studying, studying God's word so they can convey to our children the truth of God. What is that? That's a work of faith. Amen. The greeters out here today, I hope you were smiling. What are you doing? You're doing something because you're saved. You are wanting to exercise the gift of hospitality for God's glory. That's a work of faith. Kiefer teaching Sunday school this morning in the Colossians series. Work of faith. God working through him to produce that. And this is just all over. In my office last night, I was like, let me count. How many works of faith is happening at FBC? And I was just like, oh, 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 oh. It was, I just kept on going and going and going. Work of faith, work of faith. God using this person, God using this person, God using this person. God is on the move at FBC, amen? Absolutely. Yesterday, the tech crew here, they give up their Saturday afternoon. Why? Because they love God and they want to be used by God and bless the people of God. There's a group of people who say, oh, there's people gathering at the church. Let's give them food. We're Baptist. Work of faith. It's just everywhere. It's just, this past Wednesday, about a little over 20 of you gathered to pray to God, to bless the body of Christ. What is that? That's a work of faith. And you know what? You know what that does, or it should do? It should drive every single one of us to our knees and say, God, you are so good. God, you are so great. God, you are so, you're doing this through us? God, you are amazing. I praise you. I thank you. I unceasingly, like Paul and Savilness, give praise for all that God is doing. It's obvious. It's all around. Today, I encourage you, list the works of faith you have partaken in at FBC. List the works of faith you have seen at FBC. List the works of faith you have received at FBC. And then, like Paul, Savilness, and Timothy, for this whole entire chapter, give praise and glory to God. And you know what's going to happen? God's going to be glorified, and you're going to have the joy of the Lord. And it's just going to make your day, because it's all about him and giving them the glory for what he has done. Why are these people so thankful? Because they see God at work in the body of Christ. And it drives them to their knees in thankful praise and thanksgiving. It is absolutely incredible. The first reason for this unceasing thankful prayer is the work of faith. The next is, you know what it is, the labor of love. The Greek word for labor is kopos. It means arduous work. It means work done to the point of exhaustion. Another phrase in the Bible that's similar to this is 
pouring oneself out, like Jesus pours out himself for you and me, like Paul poured out himself for the Philippian church, it's saying pour out yourself in what? In love, which is the Greek word agape, which is synonymous with self-sacrifice. So self-sacrifice, doing something for other, another person or individual, not for any benefit to yourself, but all because you want to give, 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 give. And he's saying, wow, these three guys are saying, this is happening. And what does that drive them to? It drives them to give ceaseless prayers of thanksgiving. Just this past week, I was just thinking, let me limit this to this past week. Just this past week, three different people, three of you, blessed the right family in a specific way. You gave of yourself. You gave of your time. You did all of these things. And it was so obvious and clear that you did this not so I could give something back to you, but just because you love God and because you love God, you wanted to love the body of Christ. Absolutely incredible. And that just drove me to my knees saying, God, wow, you are so good. God, you are so righteous and holy. Look at what you're doing through God's people you're producing this labor of love. This labor of love. Two applications in light of this. One, give thanks to God for the love you have received at FBC. Just think right now. People in your connect group, the people in your Bible studies, the people who love each other right now in this service. It's, it's not just something we receive, it's something we need to give God praise for like he's doing here. Next application in light of this is be the labor of love that someone else gives thanks to God for. Turn for a moment to chapter four. Look at verse one of 1 Thessalonians. These people are doing this labor of love for one another. And look at what Paul encourages them to do. Finally then, brothers, we ask of you and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. He's saying, Thessalonican church, you labor in love for God. You labor in love for each other. Don't let it stop. Continue to grow in this. Do it more and more. Let me say it this way. Summer's here. It's a good thing, right? Summer's here. The sun's finally out. And various ministries, you could say programs here at the church, are taking a break for the summer. Men's breakfast, various Bible studies, connect groups, they're all taking a rest so they can catch their breath and prepare for the fall. And that's a good thing, right? That's a good thing. The leaders and those participating need a little bit of rest and rejuvenation. That's not a bad thing. Please hear me. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But please hear me when I say this. Satan doesn't take a break during the summer. Temptation, the sinful flesh, doesn't take a break for the summer. The hardships of this world don't take a break for the summer. I wish they did, but they don't. And what do you and I need? We need a body of Christ that's laboring to love all the more, more and more. Let me say it this way. Uh, next week, I'm going camping for a few days. I will, I hope. <laughs> and 
You know what usually happens when I find, when I'm going on vacation or I get all this time to rest? Usually I become, well, usually I come back more tired. Can you relate? I think one of the reasons why is because I take this break from everything, right? And I become so self-centered. I become so all about me. My spiritual disciplines, I'll admit it, they go to the tank. Bible reading, devotions with the family, personal prayer time. I'm on vacation! No. It's so easy to fall into that mode. We can't do that. Paul doesn't say, hey, just as you are doing, take a break for the summer. No. (laughs) Not at all. He's saying, yeah, rest is good. Rejuvenation is good. Planning again is good. All of that is good. But make sure that you're continuing to pour yourself out in other ways and in various ways out for the glory of Jesus Christ. Labor in love, even through the summer. Labor in love. We need it. I need your love. You need my love. That's the way that God made the church to function, to support and build each other up in him. So those are two applications concerning the labor of love. Lastly, verse 3, and like I said before, we're close here. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. When a person becomes a believer, they receive the promise of eternal life from God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And can God the Father, can God the Son, can God the Holy Spirit break that promise and rescind from you the eternal life that he's given you? Absolutely not. not. Once a person is saved, they are saved permanently. Ephesians 1.16, what does it say? That we're sealed in the Holy Spirit. In the Gospel of John, it says, you are in the grip of God the Father and you're in the grip of God the Son. And nothing in this universe can break that grip on the believer. You are signed, sealed, and delivered. You have a hope that cannot be taken away. And these people were living in light of that. We're going to get into this a lot next week. Acts 17. What happens immediately upon the formation of this church? Persecution. Hard time. Difficulty. But we're going to see that these people persevere. That they have this stead, that God has given them this steadfastness of hope. And Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy are saying, praise God. We ceaselessly thank and praise God for what he has done in your life. You have this steadfastness of hope. And who does this remind me of? It reminds me of you. I mean, this past year is proof of that, is it not? Amen? You and I have gone through some serious bumps in the road but we're still here and we're still seeking to praise God and we're still seeking to live in light of his coming. We're still here. And it's all because God has been working through us this steadfastness of hope. And what we need to ceaselessly do as FBC is look around us and say, praise God. Give thanks to God. He has preserved us and put this steadfastness of hope in us no matter what we face. What an amazing thing. 
Application in light of this is the same as the previous. Give thanks to God for the steadfastness of hope around you. Way to apply this is steal one of the picture directories. I'm encouraging you to steal. Yes, take that away and then open it up this afternoon and say, wow, wow, with all the garbage that we have been through, that person's with me. And we're praising God together. And we're living like he's coming back. God, you are amazing. Thank you for the steadfastness of hope you have put in that person, that person, that person, that person, that person. God is so great. And the evidence for that is all around us. And in heaven, we're going to be singing, shouting his praise and thanksgiving forever. And we have every reason to do that now. Every reason. God is worthy of it. God command. Look up Philippians 4.4 today. God commands us to give thanksgiving unto him now. And when we do, what is God going to produce in us? The joy of the Lord. We're going to see him all the more clearly. And it will be the joy of the Lord abounding in us. Let us pray. Dear God, you are amazing. I feel like we've just scratched the surface of these verses. Um, Your word is so deep and profound and powerful. It's because it's your word. And it's true and everlasting. I thank you, God, for everyone in here. I thank you, God, that we can look at these verses and say, wow, that's just like FBC. God, you are so good to us. God, you are so great. Your faithfulness, your love, your might. God, help us to be a people who pray, pray, pray. And in those prayers, they are full of the thanksgiving you deserve. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.